Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's On Second Thought podcast, we interviewed Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby. And uh, an hour or so later, it was announced that the Texas-Kansas game would be postponed until December 12th. But we're still going to bring you that interview in its entirety. Enjoy the show. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 201, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. My name's Cedric Golden, and I'm joined as usual by the duck, Kirk Bowles. And duck, we are graced by the presence of the man who saved college football in America. (laughs) Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby is on the line. What's up, Bob? What's up, man? Good to be with you guys. Uh, I think you're giving me a little too much credit, Cedric. Oh, no, we're not. uh, I'm glad we're playing. We we talked a month ago, and what did I say to you? I said, thanks, Bob. Thanks for paying my mortgage for another (laughs) six months. I appreciate it. I was going to be living under a bridge. Thank you for football, sir. Um, Did it? um, Glad we're playing. Yes. Has this this pandemic, I mean, what are your expectations now uh, that, you know, the whole country's navigating through it, and particularly college football? Uh, Is it what you thought it would be with the cancellations and – how do you think uh, it's been handled overall? Well, uh, you know, every day is a, is an adventure. Uh, we we really are still discovering things, and we still are running into obstacles that we hadn't anticipated. You know, we're we're a little bit like those those ducks you see on Lake Travis. Uh, they look like they're just sitting on top, but they're paddling like hell below the surface. Um, that that's us a lot of the time. And, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I would be less than forthright if I didn't admit that it's, it's been a hard, hard grind. It's been, uh, lots of long days and it's, it's been lots of difficult decisions and, you know, a whole bunch of the stuff that we take for granted, not, not only in sports, but in our everyday lives is, is just so much harder. You have to think about it. You things we routinely did, you just have to, to really think about. And, and, uh, it's a hundred little decisions, uh, with, with every circumstance. And so, um, it's been challenging, but, um, heck we're, we've played 39 football games. And, um, I think that, uh, had we been able to sign up for 39 back in July, I'd have, I'd have said, where do I put the ink? And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, um, it hasn't been without its, its fits and starts, 
but um, we're we're playing, and uh, you know we got a volleyball season in, we got a soccer season in, we got cross country championships in, and we're we're getting ready to start basketball in seven days. And so um, I, I have to say I I feel pretty good about it. But but it's been a it's been a slog. It's been a it's been a hard ride, and and I don't think it's going away just because we're going to have a vaccine. I, I expect that. Um, getting a basketball season in is going to be a challenge. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more games canceled now. I don't know what the count is as we speak, Bob. It's over 80, I think. Uh, Right now, sitting here in mid-November, what do you think of our chances of getting to the finish line for college football? Well, you know, we're doing a lot of scenario planning and, and as we should, um, I, I don't think we're going to do anything preemptively. I, I think we're going to play the semifinals on new year's day and the new Year's six games, if we can on new year's day. And I, and I think we're going to uh, get a championship game if we can do that. Um, if we get forced off of that plan, uh, then we're going to have to be prepared to make decisions in real time and and to pivot. And, you know, one of those decisions could be that we get to the point that, you know, we can't move any farther forward. We've we've always known that that's always been present. And you, you see what happened to the SEC last week. Uh, you know, they had they had more than half their games uh, postponed and um it, you know, interestingly enough, I think uh, three of the four schools that had outbreaks had buys the week before. And this week we had six buys last week. So yeah. um, if if the same holds true for us, we could run into some challenges. But uh, right. our, I think in the in the main, our coaches have done a good job. I think our ADs have done a good job. We've we've settled in a little bit to to the new normal. But you, you can't relax. Um, we certainly can't relax in football. We can't relax going into the uh, basketball season. We've tried to build in uh, buys uh, last week and this week. Uh, we had two games last week and three this week. And we intentionally did that in the schedule so that we had some space to make up games if we needed to. And it's harder to do in basketball, but we've tried to do that with a, a week at the end of the season and, and some open space in the middle. And and we moved a couple of games, as you know, to a couple of conference games into the month of December, which we haven't done before. So, you know, there are just things you do that uh, under normal circumstances wouldn't be acceptable to coaches and universities, athletic directors. But under these circumstances, they they are. You have to do uh, what you can. And, and yet we have to keep student athlete and coach health uh, first and foremost. And, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. I, I think we, we've worked hard at it. We've been specific about it. And I, and I think uh, we've done a pretty good job of it. Well, I'm guessing the big the Pac-12 and the Big Ten didn't consult you on scheduling as far as the bye weeks are concerned. It's kind of a um, it's kind of a catch twenty two though, Bob. But you schedule you schedule in these buys, and then you see as soon as there's some bye weeks on other programs, then the outbreak comes the next week, which lets you know that these kids are 
they're college kids doing college things. And, you know, this is a lot. This is a lot on their plate. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're 18 to 22 year olds and they're unaccustomed to going. Most of them are unaccustomed to going through hardship like we're going through. Um, It it requires uh, a lot of discipline. And um, I think I may have told you, Kirk, earlier in the year that I thought the team that's most disciplined, that, mm-hmm. that it does the best job of taking care of itself will be the team that that surfaces. And I, and I think that's really been true. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's hard. And uh, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as teams get to the point where they're not in the championship hunt and they're not in the bowl hunt, uh, whether the level of, of discipline goes down and, and, uh, the, the level of infection goes up. And, and I especially wonder about that with most of the country experiencing spikes in cases right now. I think we see more opt outs too, as that, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure yeah. that's right. And the PAC 12 has no wiggle room. As you said, they were the last to start back up. Uh, I think their minimum is six games to, to be eligible. I think for the CFP, if I'm not mistaken, uh, do you have any degree of confidence that the PAC 12 can at least have a champion that's, that's played six games? Well, they got a long ways to go. They're only they're only two weeks into it right now, and uh, uh, as Cedric noted, there there really uh, is not a lot of wiggle room for the Big Ten or the or the Pac-12, and and they've both lost games, um, you know, early in their uh, the the restart of the season. So uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, but. Um, I, I think everybody's doing the same thing. They're listening to their doctors and scientists and they're trying to put one foot in front of the other. And, and uh, you know, we continue to collaborate. Uh, we don't always do the same things. Uh, we're in a little different uh, position in our in our season than than those uh, other two are. But, uh, you know, in the end, uh, we're all partners in an enterprise and that is the college football playoff. And uh, all 10 conferences and Notre Dame certainly have a say in how that gets conducted. And, and so, you know, just like what we did with the, with the, uh, the bowl environment, uh, you know, you essentially don't have to have any qualifying standards for the bowls. And it's, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. You, you, there may be a team that, uh, um, you know, somebody like Ohio State that uh, for one reason or another doesn't get all their games in, but everybody looks at them and says, that's, that's a pretty darn good football team. And, uh, you know, it, it, in the end, that's what the selection committee has to do anyway. They, they have tools at their disposal, and frankly, they have fewer tools this year than they, than they usually do because of the absence of non-conference matchups among the good teams. But um, in the end, uh, it's 13 honest people sitting in a room um, hypothesizing on who the four best teams are, and that's still going to be what they have to do. And I, I just think uh, if you keep that in your in your you know in your front windshield uh you probably get come get come to the place where you get it right well as part of you know you're on the cfp operations committee and you've said that there is a little attitude that if if it comes about that you guys have to move the playoffs back uh move them back um what are the drawbacks of that uh it seems like january there's should be plenty of wiggle, wiggle room in January. Um, what are some of the drawbacks of moving that back? Is it just a logistical 
uh, issue. Uh, or- you know, it's it's venues. It's um, uh, the in the case of the New Year's Day games, those are those are traditional games that have been played in that time slot and on those days for a long time. But um, it, it's it's feasible. It's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, we would never do it preemptively, but if we get forced into it, we, we probably do have some options. And, uh, but I, I think the key word there is being forced into it. Uh, we, I, I don't think there's any appetite whatsoever for uh, starting to move things around uh, without, without real good provocation. Although, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were committed at one time to playing an entire football season in the spring. So I yeah. guess in were, were they the, were they really? I mean, well, they talked about it. That was a carrot. That was a carrot. Yeah, Don't bite true. it. They and and the FCS championship is is going to be conducted in the in right. the spring. So it's it's not inconceivable, but. Uh, I, I feel like the December 19th will be the last day of championship games and regular season games. After that, we're into the week of Christmas. And, uh, you know, these are, these are not professional athletes. These are college kids. And, um, you know, they, they'd like to go home and be with their families and, and uh, that's appropriate. And so, you know, I, I just don't think we're going to uh, blow all this up without uh, being forced to, make changes. And, well, Bob, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. In, in light of that, Bob, is the plan right now and the thinking that probably will not have fans at the CFP games, the two semifinals and the finals? That's a, that's a great question, Kirk. Um, it, it's, um, you know, in the case of the Rose Bowl, uh, the state of California has already stated that there wouldn't be fans uh, in the stands. Right. Now, you know, it isn't inconceivable that that could change, but uh, you, you just never know. Uh, in the case of New Orleans, uh, they've been uh, moving upward steadily, but uh, as the as the cases spike, uh, it, it's not inconceivable that it would go back down to where it was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, those are just things you you deal with. We're in a we're in a changing environment, and uh, you know if 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 we knew that everything was going to stay just like it is today, it would be really easy to make decisions. Um, but, but we don't know that we don't have the benefit of it. And so I think you make decisions as late as you possibly can. And, and by doing that, you have the benefit of the most recent information. You know what? And uh, I agree, I agree with you that this coronavirus isn't going away in 2021. Um, basketball season is a different animal, more games, but a lot fewer people and a lot and a lot fewer uh, staffers, traveling parties. Do you think that's going to be a bit more navigable than than football would just given the sheer amount of football personnel involved in a Saturday? But a lot fewer in basketball. Do you think it might be a little bit easier to navigate for you guys? Uh I tell you, I'm I'm not uh, prepared to declare anything easy or easier. Um, I, I think we're going to be in the heart of the flu and virus season, including COVID-19. Uh, I think the numbers are likely to stay high. That's what that's what all the epidemiologists are are telling us. Um, we we may have a vaccine at some point, and and that certainly will help. The other thing that's happened that is a really positive trend is 
testing is more readily available, it's more reliable, it's less expensive. And so therefore we can we can do more around testing and, and you know what we're doing now may be very different at the end of the basketball season. But you know, you're talking about multiple contests per week. Most are trying to stay till two contests. But the thing that's a challenge about basketball is with the isolation and quarantine requirements, you're gonna lose when you when you have an outbreak, you're going to lose three or four or five games. And when that happens, and then you start layering it where, you know, we got sick last week and our opponent for two weeks from now didn't get sick till next week. Um, you know, you could lose it partly because of, of your positive tests, but you could also lose a lot of games uh, be due to other people's positive tests. And so I think, I think we're, we're in for um, a, uh, uh, a winner where we're going to have to be very careful and uh, we're going to have to be very disciplined. And uh, there are a number, it hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, but there are uh, many basketball programs that are shut down right now. Not, not so much at our level because we've had the benefit of the experiences we've had in football, but there are a lot of the mid majors and lower division one programs that are, that are shut down on a basketball court right now because they just are, are feeling their way through what we went through back in uh, July, August, and September. And then there's talk about having the entire 68-team NCAA basketball tournament in the Indianapolis, yeah. uh, which sounds like a logistical nightmare, even though it sounds maybe smart on some level. Is that, do you think that's going to happen and what do you think uh, the obstacles to that could be well you know i think that the difference between that and starting a season is that um with the, the number of sites they had uh, 17 sites and they they had to they have hotels in every one of those locations uh they have to make sure that uh aircraft are available to get teams from all over the country the the logistics that go along with the NCA tournament are very, very substantial. And so I think they had to make some early decisions. And as I said a few moments ago, I'm not a fan of early decisions, but I think in this case, I think they had to. Um, and, and frankly, uh, an awful lot of the, the fiscal health of the association and of, of many of the smaller conferences are tied directly uh, to the revenue that comes from the men's basketball tournament. So, you know, the, in some ways there's an existential uh, challenge that's along with this. So I, I think they were smart in, in making those decisions early. Uh, the logistics of it are extraordinary, um, uh, but so were the logistics of trying to uh, retain the, the normal setup. So uh, in the, the thing that I have gotten to as much as anything, guys, is I've gotten to the point where I've said, when I make decisions, we're going to try and make them as simply as we possibly can. If it if it's complex versus simple, we're going with simple. If we can, you know, if it's real complex and we can only get to modest, then we'll get to modest. But we we are going to try and simplify. We're, we're going to try not to make it more complex. And an example of that is. Uh, almost all of our bowl partners have now said, uh, let's make this a business trip. We're not going to come into town for a week. We're not going to practice here. We're going to come. 
we're going to uh, stay in a hotel, we're going to eat dinner, and we're going to go play the game. And uh, we're going to make it just as simple as we can. And uh, I, I just think that's the kind of thing you do at this time. And, and you know, that, that's, that's not what kids grew up wanting to do as a bowl experience or as an NCAA basketball tournament experience. But that's what you do um, in times like these. Well, Bob, uh, how's your life changed? I know, I know we would see you at, at numerous games during the season and uh, Big 12 administrating, administration, how's your day-to-day changed uh, with the social distancing, with, with less travel? Um, what's your schedule like these days? Well, I went from, I went from March uh, 9th to, uh, to November 4th without being on an airplane. Uh, that hasn't happened to me in 35 years. That's crazy. And it, um, but I have been getting out to games. I, I, I've been driving to them and I, I've flown to a couple with, with other people on, on private planes. I went to one on commercial, but my travel is way down. I'm, I'm still trying to get to each campus for a football game and I may or may not get that done, but um, yeah, it, it's changed. We're, you know, we're, we're all Zoom fatigued. There isn't any doubt about that. I'm, That's not going away, Bob. That's going to no, be here. And I, I'm early in the morning till late in the afternoon uh, on Zoom calls all the time. And uh, in fact, we even had a little trouble scheduling this because of, of my calendar. And so, you know, it, as I said at the outset, it, it's, it's been a hard stretch. It's, it's been very challenging. Um, it's, it's physically exhausting. But more than that, it's emotionally exhausting because, you know, these are decisions that people care about. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I would be less than honest if I didn't say it, it, it has been a, uh, a very long eight months. But um, it, it's also been fascinating in some ways. I mean, it, it, as much as it's emotionally draining, um, it's intellectually stimulating to try and try and figure out some of this stuff and and provide the service that our members need. Uh, these, this is, uh, you know, the, you think about how you go about playing games, but there's a very practical aspect of, of not playing games. And that is for every football game we don't play, uh, it costs us several million dollars. And uh, what they're, you know, that's not money that goes into the conference office coffers. That's money that's redistributed to our members. And so in addition to not having people in the stands and not selling concessions and not, per, not charging for parking, um, they, you know, there, there was a, a good chance at the beginning of the football season that our distributable revenue was going to be much less than, it, than our schools had counted on. We've recovered a lot of that, but we still have to get 105 basketball games in to meet our contract. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we still have 14 football games and a championship game to get in. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you'll not hear any bravado out of me. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, we're, we're just trying to, to do the very best we can and put one foot in front of the other. Cause it's, uh, um, uh, we're nowhere near declaring victory. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the fiscal health and all those dollar ramifications. Can you even imagine the fallout if you don't get another NCAA basketball tournament? And I don't know if the NCAA depends on that so much as do so many of these schools. Would we just see an exponential dropping of the so-called non-revenue sports around the country? Well, we're, you know, we're seeing a little of that now, Kirk. And, and uh, 
it's uh, it's heartbreaking to see those programs come away because they're they're never gonna they're never gonna come back. And right. so um, you know, but the, the 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 money problems are real. Uh, there there isn't any way to uh, to put a favorable spin on that. Uh, the the money problems are real, and you know, universities while they're big enterprises. Um, it's not real popular to bridge finance athletics programs with money that could be going to the faculty or going to, you know, other things at the university. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, there are challenges on all fronts. Uh, I certainly don't have the corner on the misery market, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a section of the newspaper that's devoted to, to sports and people care about it. And, and I think particularly now, I mean, people have been hungry for, for live sports and, uh, and something to do that, you know, takes their mind off of, uh, of all that's going on in their lives, which, you know, we, we're, we're all faced with it. This is, uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been through anything like this. Nothing, nothing even close. And last question I have for you, Bob, is that what are the chances that we're going through this next football season? These same well, I, you know, I, I'm not a scientist, Kirk and, and uh, Cedric, I, and I don't presume to be. Uh, we're we're listening to we're listening to the best experts that we can find. Everybody has said that at the outset this was an 18 to 24 month problem. Now, having said that, we have a vaccine sooner than we thought we were going to have it. I think testing is well ahead of where we thought it might be. Um, those are really positive things. Um, but oftentimes the first iteration of vaccines are, are not as effective as they're reported to be. Uh, the shingles vaccine, for instance, was only 45% effective in its first iteration, and, and now it's much better. But, um, you know, I, I believe in American scientific know-how. We'll, we'll, we'll be the first country to, to figure this out. I don't have any doubt about it. But when will we get back to normal? When will we not be wearing masks? When will we not have to think that we had to wash our hands uh, eight times a day? Um, who knows? We, we could still be dealing with, with some remnants of it going into next school year. I, I just think it's, it's far too early to, uh, to, to make forecasts uh, around that. I, I just think we're going to have to wait and see. Well, Bob, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. We know you're busy, and um, uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Um, keep fighting the good fight, and thank you, sir, for college football. Thank you, sir. Well, good to be with you guys, and thanks for your kind words. Take care and be well. Thanks, Bob. On Second Thought. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. But Doug, good stuff with Bob Bowlesby. The Longhorns aren't playing this week, but we we brought another Longhorn on to, <laughs> to talk NFL football. Jory Epstein, USA Today, part of the Gunnett family. 
covering the Cowboys. How are you doing, Jory? And why did it take 200 episodes to get you on our podcast? I am doing well. So happy to see you guys again. And, you know, I think it's fitting timing because Kirk, correct me if I get the details wrong, but what was it? Thanksgiving, probably five years ago now that we were talking to, was it Taylor Doyle before Thanksgiving? And he said how much fun it was always to play on Thanksgiving. And I made a comment along the lines of, but is it when you guys haven't won on Thanksgiving in this many years? And then I just like bolted and you were like, it's okay. (laughs) We all survived it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, I've worked I've worked every Thanksgiving since Lord I can remember. I got the column in 06. So this is like 15 years in a row that I've covered a cowboy game. I'm yeah. just gonna be there and Jerry's gonna feed us. So I'm I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Who's got the Cowboys play at Minnesota on um Sunday? Is Andy Dalton are the marbles back in place? Or are we gonna get Garrett Gilbert 2.0. You know, it's a good question. And like all good questions, McCarthy prefers not to answer them directly. (laughs) Um, So the official line is Andy Dalton has returned as a full participant to practice, meaning he has been cleared of both his concussion protocol and his COVID-19 protocol, which he dealt with back-to-back games. Um, And then where that goes from here, we'll have to see. So Garrett Gilbert had a impressive performance, all things considered, in that 24-19 loss to Pittsburgh. Absolutely. That being said, the Cowboys publicly maintain that they think the offense can open up more with Andy. So our expectation is that Andy will start for now, but I would be surprised if we didn't see at least one more Garrett Gilbert seat start in 2020. So, Joey, you're telling you're telling us that Andy Dalton is healthy from the concussion and safe from COVID-19. But is he safe from his own offensive line? Can, can you answer that question for us? Yeah, that was one of the first things Zeke told us today when we asked him about getting Andy back is he said, you know, it's good to have him back and we're going to make sure we protect him. And I think that all of us just flash back to that moment where he gets hit by Washington linebacker John Bostic head to head. Then his helmet rolls off. His head hits the grass again, and no one's coming. And, again, I think that McCarthy made, made a lot, and you can debate what the offensive line should have done in that situation. But the offensive line is in a little bit of a better position than it was a month ago. So hopefully Andy Dalton will reap the benefits. That's it. The two moments that I'm going to remember probably from this Cowboy season is that one you just described. And and I was there, too, when Dak Prescott went down right. and with their whole season. But that's kind of sums up their years almost. I, yeah, uh, you know what? I, yeah, I'm going to give the offensive line a break because I think I think Connor Williams had a hangnail, you know, when Andy Dalton's uh, helmet oh, was no. rolling up. And, and I was watching on television. I was like, yeah. is Andy Dalton's head inside of that helmet that just came off? Because he almost got beheaded. John, John, I'm surprised John Bostic's not in prison. I'm I'm just surprised that there was another assault charge. I mean, that's – and no one lifted a finger, and McCarthy was incensed about that, and he should have been. Yeah, he was, and I mean, I always love the younger guys on the team who have less media experience because they're more honest with us. And so Ben Tanucci told us after that game, he's like, yeah, Andy asked me what happened on the play because he didn't remember it. And we're like, well, that's not good. And at first, and he was like, I think it was his first concussion, which I thought Ben must have just got that wrong. Maybe Andy told him that and he wasn't feeling it. He had not had a concussion since entering this league in 2011, which I mean, not an official one, um, which I mean, good for him 
him because I hate these guys' concussions. Wow, that's amazing. No concussions until, you know, ninth, tenth year in the league. That's that's an impressive stat right there. So yeah. no documented. Right. Yeah. No documented, yes. So, uh, you know, the Cowboys are heavy into this uh, <laughs> NFC East race here in the thick of it. Can the argument be made that the Cowboys are the best two and seven team in the entire NFL? You know, DeMarcus, well, it's funny. First of all, if you're talking about best two and seven teams, I want to say it was Dave Gettleman with the Giants this week who said that people keep telling him his team is the best two and seven team they ever have seen. First things first, don't get this twisted. We're a good team. It's about winning games, but we're a good team. So I would say that this is the most confident two and seven team in the league, perhaps. <laughs> Interesting. Well, they go they go into Minnesota, and I think the Vikings are sitting at four and five. Is that right? Yeah, three straight wins. Uh, and they talk, they talk well, duh, when Dalvin Cook's on the team, of course they play better. They started losing when Dalvin Cook got hurt. Dalvin Cook comes back and then boom, 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 they're back. And I, I think I think that it could be a long Sunday for the Cowboys. Um, how, how do you think they match up? Uh, I, we know what Dalvin Cook's going to do. He is a – Right. He's the, he's the runaway best running back in the league this year, but – how do you think they match up? I'm more interested in on the outside with an Adam Thielen, with with young Jefferson, with those two guys and BB uh, in the slot. How do how does the Cowboys match up with them? Because I know they've been banged up on the back end. Yeah, Dalvin Cook is going to be a huge challenge for a team that has not fared well against the run this year. They've fared a little bit better in the past two games against Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Um, we asked Demarcus Lawrence today. We said. Cleveland has a similar run scheme because Kevin Stefanski went from Minnesota over to Cleveland. How do you keep the same scheme comes in? How do you have different results than when Cleveland gashed them for 307 rushing yards a month ago? And, uh, and Marcus is like, this will not be a repeat of the Cleveland game. He said they believe that they're playing better. They believe that they better understand the new scheme that the defensive coaches have put in. Um, and personnel wise, I mean, I don't know what the issue was or if it's just a shakeup, but I mean, Don Terry Poe, since he was out of there, they put Antoine Woods back in the middle. Randy Gregory's back on that end. Ever seen Griffin gone. I'm talking all defensive line. Um, that really has helped them have a more cohesive unit on the defensive line. And as it relates to the secondary, uh, the exciting rookie Trayvon Diggs at corner fractured his foot. So he's out for roughly four to six weeks. That being said, Chidobe Awuzie, who would have been starting in his place, uh, he's coming back from a hamstring injury, and I expect him to play against Minnesota. So if Cheeto can play at the level that he's played before, they shouldn't have a significant drop-off. It's a little bit of a different style to play. Uh, Cheeto might give up a few more big plays, but also – or a few fewer big plays, but not necessarily have the interceptions that we were seeing Trayvon get at least towards the end. Um, but I think the secondary can be okay. So if you can – and again – that defense has played well enough to win the last two games. The offense has not. So if Andy Dalton can get it in there and you can get everybody doing that at the same time, it's not impossible they win, but the Vikings are a better football team than the Cowboys. They need running backs to run out of bounds on purpose like Nick Chubb. You know, that that would help the Cowboys defense if uh... – <laughs> I, just I just don't recommend that. I mean, I, and, and I'm going to tell you, and I know we're I'm, it's a little bit off topic here. Um, <laughs> Nick Chubb is a Cleveland Brown running back. 
NFL fans, by and large, that especially the ones that attend the games, are huge bettors. They bet on their team. They believe. And so when you see big Nick Chubb running down that sideline, you're up 10-7 and you're favored by, by three and a half in a lot of circles, you need that touchdown. And it's a perfect day in Cleveland <laughs> if he scores. But he runs out of bounds and I know those those 53 people are happy in that locker room, but there are some people walking out of that stadium who were not happy. With yeah, what happened to job. doing it for the fans? I know. And fantasy <laughs> league people yeah. were not happy. Well, and I, so, I, think it, I think it gets silly, too. They, were, they would have been up, what, 10 if he scores with, what, 50 seconds left? Something like that. Puts that, the, that I mean, puts the game away. I mean, it, either way it does, but people leave happier. There are people who lost money on that. It, you know what? Oh, yeah. When you bet, it's a gamble. It's a gamble, literally a gamble. But yeah. I, I bet someone pulled Nick Chubb aside and said, uh, next time, Nick, uh, I'm score. <laughs> Kareem Hunt said, uh, I'm scoring there. I, I'm not stepping out of bounds. And so, yeah. yeah. Or you could do the Kareem, Todd yeah. Gurley where you, like, try not to score and kind of fall. <laughs> yeah. That cost me, that cost me a win, Jory. <laughs> that cost me a fantasy league win, Jory. Oh. Because if Gurley doesn't okay. score, they run the clock out. Instead, Matt Stafford drives him down the field. I'm yeah. facing Matt Stafford that day. And uh, hits TJ Hawkinson. Not not to say that my team's any good. I suck, and so does Kirk. So <laughs> let's get back to the Cowboys. Go ahead, Doug. I'm better than you, though. But Kirk Cousins looked good on Monday. I mean, he's been a Monday night warrior. His record's now one and nine. So, uh, but uh, good news for uh, the Vikings. For they don't play on, play on Monday. So uh, I don't know. What, what are your expectations against Cousins against this Cowboy defense? Yeah, I mean, I think that – Cousins is, I mean, I think that the offense in Minnesota is just finding a better recipe than they were trying to play with earlier in the season with their run game, with their play action. Um, I think that this could be a good day for the Cowboys to get an interception because historically they have done that against Kirk Cousins and they don't do it very often in the season, but they've had several games when he was both in Washington and I want to say in Minnesota last year too, where they've had a defensive lineman tipping his pass and that interception coming through. So that would be helpful. This offense could use a little bit of help right now. I, I like what I'm seeing from Randy Gregory. He's become a disruptor. And and you always – you pull for guys like – I do. I do because he just feels tortured and he's, and he's had his issues. But doesn't it seem like he's kind of figured some things out and figured out his role on that defense? I think so. And I did a story with him. I think we published it two weeks ago now where I was grateful. He really did open up about his daily battle with social anxiety. And he talked and he let me talk to his psychologist also about the different techniques that they're working on. And yeah, I mean, he's always going to battle with these demons in his head, obviously substance abuse and his suspensions from it have been a resulting factor, but he's really been working on, on improving his self-talk and, and trying to, reinforce that and I think from a football standpoint that that's been huge and I don't know he's been in and out of this league and always with the Cowboys when he was in but I think he's got chemistry with these guys in a way that Everson Griffin and some of these alphas coming in from other teams didn't Um, and I think we saw what that can do in the last couple games and I expect Randy to only continue to disrupt as he gets his feet under him. Wasn't he working like at um, Amazon or for like 15 bucks an hour when he got the call. 
1550 because again when you're suspending this league you're not getting your salary he didn't even get health care last year through the league um, and he needed that to get his psychology appointments to get the treatment to get back in the league he's now got two young kids um, so yeah he just needed to put food on the table so he was working in an amazon warehouse and i gave him credit one he said he was happy there because he felt a sense of purpose supporting his family and two he said look i'm not one who's going to be made for a desk job so this gave me something that was much more active when he's dealing with delivery routes and warehouse and i mean it's one of those things that you just don't expect from someone you're watching on TV on Sundays, but he found a job that would cater better to his strengths. That's really cool. Well, Dallas yeah. is going to have to score some points, and Zeke Elliott has had a very weird season with, you know, fumbles and injuries, and uh, now he had the hamstring. Uh, what's his health like, uh, Jory, and are we going to see more Tony Pollard? Yeah, so we watched him in practice start out today on the resistance cords. He's been working a lot with the physical therapist through the bye week, um, but I expect him, I mean, certainly his Unless he has a setback, he is on track to play. I wasn't sure he would play in that Pittsburgh game before the bye because you think, okay, they're two and six going into that game. They're about to have a bye week. They signed this guy until like 2090. And now you're going to risk his hamstring. But he played and he was fine. So I think that their two punches, their one two punch is good. Tony can hit holes in, a, in an explosive way that Zeke can't. But what Zeke can do for pass protection and the, just sort of the multifaceted role he plays in that game is still a benefit to this team. So um, he he's still a little bit tight but and stiff, he said he told us today, but he'll be back and playing. And, I mean, he's hungry. We asked him about the motivation level, and he's like, look, we haven't won in a month, and it sucks. So we're hungry, and we're going to find a way to win a football game. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask you to put on put on your prognosticator hat, Jory Epstein. Uh, um, who's going to win the NFC East? Okay, I think the Giants. I do too, and I I hate myself for thinking that because I, I thought they were the it. worst. I can't figure out if this is just like me drinking the Jason Garrett Kool Aid after reporting with him for it's so not, many years. It's not, but no. I really think that they're I, McCarthy keeps talking about play style and play speed, and I think that the Giants are playing better football than anyone in the division. Absolutely. And it's not close. I think Washington's got a good defense, mm-hmm. um, but their offense is not good when they're not playing teams against who are not the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the Eagles <laughs> and Carson Wentz. I mean, I don't know, like. He sucks. I'm sorry. He sucks. He sucks. He sucks. And I know that, I mean, I keep seeing it. It seems like every week we have another, why did Doug Peterson do this to try and reinstill confidence in Carson Wentz? And at some point, if you have to question weekly decisions by your coach on that basis, it's not a good sign for your franchise quarterback. So yeah, I think the giants can do it. Daniel Jones will have to continue the ball security trend. I think he didn't turn over the ball this week and, and that'll be huge, but and, and what's impressive is, remember, they're doing this without Saquon Barkley. Yes, that's huge. That's huge. And I just I see, every time I see the Giants, I go, they, they're they not very good. But for what they do, they've kind yeah. of figured out that we're going to run it with Wayne Gallman yeah. uh, with a little touch of Deion Lewis. We're going to throw it to Evan Ingram up over the middle. We're going to go deep to, to Slayton. We got Golden Tate in the slot. They yeah. have a plan. Yes. And their defense is decent. And I I was like, I never would have thought at the beginning of the year that the New York Giants would be the, be- the, be the most complete team in right. this conference. I, well, the Dak factor changed everything. It Absolutely. changed everything. So I, I'm I still – I'm with you. Who do you have winning that, that division, Doug? 
Oh, I'm with y'all. I, I like the Giants. I mean, you know, now Daniel Jones is running all the way to the end zone on both <laughs> That dude ran out of gas. That was embarrassing. Yeah, ran out of gas. But did you see what Patrick Mahomes tweeted after that play? He's like, yeah. I wouldn't have even made it that far in the first place or something along those lines. So <laughs> He's so yeah. kind. He's faster I mean, again, than Daniel and Jones. I, I just kind. give the, the coaching staff a lot of credit because I think good coaches – make their players better and just learn how to capitalize on the talent. And I feel like I've covered a lot of Cowboys teams where the talent seems to underperform year after year. And the giants talent seems to be overperforming particularly like we said, without Saquon. Did y'all hear the story about go ahead up. They're making milk in the most out of their potential. Yes. Did you hear the story about Mark Colombo and Joe judge getting into it originally reported as a fist fight yeah, I it think ended with been... Judge uh, firing Colombo, but now it's now they're saying it was just a verbal altercation. Yeah, my understanding is it wasn't pretty, but it was a verbal altercation. Um, but I mean, again, Mark Colombo, an offensive line coach who was in Dallas for a lot of years and having interviewed him, and I stand at 5'3", not very big. Uh, I would not want to have a fist fight with Mark Colombo. <laughs> He's what, what, like the heavy metal rock band is in his, in his background and, and he's played offensive line as an enforcer. I mean, pick someone else to fist fight if you're I, rem- I remember them losing, and I want to say it was to the Jaguars a few years back. And Colombo had a bad game. He had a really bad game. And so I'm, I'm over at his locker with, <laughs> with my guy, Calvin Watkins, and – and we're talking to Colombo, and Calvin's asking him about the struggles. And Colombo's, I'm not talking today. And Calvin kept on, and Colombo stands up. And we both were like looking up at him. <laughs> he's massive. He is 6'8, yeah. 330 pounds. And yeah, he is one. not fat. He no. is big. No, he's just he, strong. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not talking. And I was like, let me go talk to Cole Beasley where I won't feel like I'm going to get murdered in two seconds. That dude is a, that's a scary dude. And I could see, I could see where he, he and Joe judge could go toe to toe, but I'm glad there were no fisticuffs. Okay. It's funny. You mentioned Calvin and that, because a couple of weeks ago we were waiting for the press conferences to start. We're out here at the star and Calvin is going through the list of each player on the roster. And if he were to beat them in a fight, how he would do so. And again, I would like to know what he would have said in that instance of what his, his plan was for Columbo. If it turned to that, because I'm, <laughs> I'm picking Columbo. If we're betting here. Here's what I know about Calvin. He's not afraid of Mark Columbo. He no. get murdered. He is not afraid. Yes. And fear Calvin is not is the concern. Not scared here. Of anyone. He is not afraid. What about what about Mike McCarthy? He's that endeared himself to Cowboy Nation. Yet some real questionable calls, timeouts, time management. What kind Conservative. Of grade, yeah, what kind of grade would you give him, Jory? Yeah, again, I understand COVID. I understand injuries. I also understand what the Panthers and Browns and some of these other teams with, and, and the Giants, as we were talking about, have done with their first-year coaches. And every other first-year coach team I look at makes me less impressed with what Mike McCarthy has done here. So um, I don't know if the culture he instills will pay off next year, but, I mean, I, if C is average, I think it's been a, a highly below-average performance. Um, so D? I go D and D for Dak. Um, with Dak, they're going to win. They're going to win this division. 
and they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs, even though their defense hasn't always played great. With Dak and Amari Cooper on the same page, um, still still waiting on Gallup. I, I, you know, I, it's flashes from Gallup, but we know C.D. Lamb is miles better than Michael Gallup, even though they're both have a very similar athletic um, skill sets. But uh, I think with Dak, he's probably going to get a B because Dak – uh, it's funny how you don't miss the impact until the guy gets hurt. Right. I mean, he's putting up record numbers and, and still people are going, how, do, how does he not get extended? And then he gets hurt. And now here we are. And at least Jerry did say he's going to be our quarterback moving forward. I thought that was a step in the right but direction. But will he be the quarterback in September? I mean, what's the prognosis on how soon Dak does come back, Jory? Yeah, I mean, from a from a physical health timeline, he was he fractured and dis, he had a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle on October 11th, mm-hmm. also the last day that the Dallas Cowboys won a football game, um, <laughs> and and he the timeline was set at about four months. So he they literally got the card on the field, cleaned the wound, had an ambulance waiting outside, carted him immediately to a hospital, and he had surgery. Before I was out of that stadium, I would say, which again, I stay too long at that stadium. So oh my God, you're always last. You're always last. <laughs> yes, I, I appreciate that. the patience of the, the stadium workers. Um, but yeah, so. Season opener. Yeah, so he's supposed to, I mean, a four month recovery, November, December, January, February, he should be ready for spring activities. Um, and Stephen yeah. told us last week, if anything, he's ahead of schedule. So thankfully, it seems like he got through that initial part of the recovery period where he would be susceptible to infection, which we all saw with Alex Smith, how badly that could go. Um, he's up here for treatment. I mean, we haven't personally seen him, but the players tell us at the star. So he should be good to go. Now, the question will be, is he normal person back to good or does he still have some of that mobility and how much of his footwork does he need to relearn and what, what will that mean? But I actually think that's one of the reasons why it is good that he's taken such a big step the last two seasons in terms of what he can do with his arm and that it wasn't just Zeke's offense or that they, I mean, he still was a, a hugely impactful runner and had three rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown in, in the four and a half games he played. Um, but I mean, his arm it, it is a big part in, yeah, so I expect him to be healthy. I expect him to be here, but uh, there are plenty of question marks, and I don't always put a hundred percent stock in the words of the Jones family. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, you sound, you sound like a grizzled. He sounds like a grizz, grizzled old Cowboys beat writer, like Claire <laughs> or or Calvin. Shaw. She sounds like. She, she, she's been in, she's been in some pressers. She was the lay of the land now, Doc. <laughs> Yeah. Let, me ask, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I, I, um, I, like you just said, I believe that Dak Prescott is, he's probably, now this is, this predates you. He's probably going to come back more as a Warren Moon type, a guy with a great arm who could run when he had to run, mm-hmm. but, but not necessarily a runner. He came in as a tank. When he first came in, we knew he wanted to run, but I don't know that he wants to run anymore, even before that injury. So I think I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to his arm. He was electric before he got hurt. So right. I think he's going to be more of a pass first guy, kind of like Patrick Mahomes, who can run, but right. he only runs when he has to. They never call design runs for Mahomes. 
Well, the irony is it's kind of like when you're deciding whether to go for it on fourth down is that there's always both sides of the coin. So in his first few seasons, everyone was saying, Scott Linehan, Kellen Moore, uh, Wade Wilson, why aren't you guys having Dak run more? And then, again, statistically, the overwhelming majority of the time he has run, he has not gotten hurt. But he did get an AC shoulder sprain uh, last end of 2019 on a run, which Mm -hmm. Maybe you shouldn't stiff arm if you're the franchise quarterback. Maybe you should. Um, and then this year it was on that designed run that it wasn't even a tackle. It was just the way he landed. So, uh, And then Andy Dalton, again, that concussion came on a run. So I think you just have to understand that risk. And Jerry and Steven understand it acutely. And because of that, are not proponents of their quarterbacks running often. The Romo, the Romo era ended on a, on a scramble. Right. He got blown up in a preseason game and he never, never regained his job. Yeah. And the poor guy's just making 17 million at CBS now. And they gave him the week, they gave him off last week. (laughs) I was like, oh, you know, load management, you know, (laughs) Kawhi, Tony Romo, got those guys healthy for the playoffs. I get that. Right. Right. Well, last, last question I have you for you, Jory, is assuming the Cowboys don't make a huge run and win the Super Bowl this yeah. year, um, where do you think they go in the draft? Do they need offensive line, secondary? What's the popular wisdom on what they need to do to improve themselves next year? Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and it's funny. I did an interview with Troy Aikman last week, and I asked him that. I'm like, do you have to consider quarterback if you're drafting top five? And he's like, if it were me – if you have a franchise quarterback, you have so many other needs on that team that you want an elite talent at. So I think some of this will depend on how the rehabs go of guys like left tackle Tyron Smith, right tackle Lyle Collins. Also, again, the Cowboys have only are only six months removed from their all-pro center Travis Frederick deciding to hang it up, and you never know if Tyron's body um, leads him to that same decision. So if that's the case, you want your offensive line because I think we have seen so many teams around this league, whether it's the Ravens, the Cowboys, the Eagles, whose level of play has dropped dramatically after injuries to the offensive line. Um, but certainly their defense. I know some people would say there's some good cornerbacks you could put opposite Trayvon Diggs. Um, you can never have enough pass rushers. And then, and then a really big one is going to be defensive tackle. That Cowboys run defense is a little bit bigger, and I don't know the exact talent that's coming out at defensive tackle relative to where they'll slot, but um, they need someone in there who's really going to make things easier for, for Leighton Vanderush and Jalen Smith. And I think if you can clog the lanes – um, you can allow both sides of your ball to function much more effectively. Kirk, I blame you for us, us not having her on earlier. She's been magnificent. Why did you blackball Jory Epstein when I asked if we could get her on the podcast? Yeah, confession times, Kirk. It's time. He's not Catholic, but he can look too ugly. <laughs> that doesn't take much. That does not take much. That's a lot. Yeah, so this is audio, so I'm, I'm, I'm as beautiful as Jory on this podcast because no one can see me. <laughs> and, and we'll never stop hearing as women that our voices aren't meant to talk sports, so maybe in that regard, you guys have me beat. How, how's your – How's I mean, I, I'm, I'm always I'm always mentoring you in, on stuff like this. How's your timeline with the haters, with those people saying, stick to sports, you're a girl? How's that working? I will actually say, I don't know for what reason, and maybe it's just a credit to Cowboys Nation, I get a lot less hate than most of my friends who are women in the industry, and I and I appreciate that. Um, so I would like that my friends to get less hate, but uh, I really don't get very much negativity on social That's media. That's great. 
Well, neither does Kirk. Kirk doesn't either. They <laughs> Kirk all love Doug. Though. I feel like I'm always getting new messages from like a bot Kirk. <laughs> he has no idea. How to, he has no idea how to turn that, how to change his password. So, well, he does, <laughs> but then he writes it down on this on this little bitty print. Oh, the bots love the little print. And he can't see what the password is. He's got like eight <laughs> passwords. If you look, if you're looking to, to hack Kirk, I know like four of them. So inbox <laughs> me and I will give you four of the eight Kirk Bowles passwords. Okay, funny about that actually, completely unrelated to football. But when we were younger, my dad growing up put all of our social security numbers in like a random order on a piece of paper um, so that he would know, but there was no names attached. So I applied to college with my brother's social security number and didn't realize how much later. So I'm like, congrats, Jason, on your acceptances. Um, later in life, I'm like, and then I like was having trouble getting into certain accounts because they're like, well, we need this social security number. And I'm like, I just don't want to put it in because it, it doesn't belong to me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Maybe, maybe in 40 years, when you start drawing checks, you'll get two instead of one. I'm okay with that. I get Jason's. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be great. We appreciate it. It's just so, so great to talk to you doing great work for USA today and covering the Cowboys. Um, I will be there on Thanksgiving and I hope to see you there socially distant, of course. But, Absolutely. Uh, and I know Kirk, Kirk's come, going back during, sometime uh, after that. They don't have a lot of home games left, Doug. So, uh, but we look forward to seeing you. Keep up the good work, and thanks for joining us today. You bet. Great to see you all. Thanks for having me on. Happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye, Jory. On Second Thought. That will do it for episode 201 of On Second Thought. We have to thank Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and USA Today NFL writer Jury Epstein for joining us. For the Duck Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.